Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we've got a special bye week episode as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 441. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with both Chris McPherson and Ben Fennel. Yeah, the gang is back together for the first time since the bye week. We were with each other every single day during training camp, bringing you guys the latest action from the Novacare Complex. Well, the three of us are back together just to talk through this team going into the playoffs. They earned the number one seed. How did they get here? What are the 10 stats that help tell the story of the 2022 season? That is what we are going to try and hash out here in this segment. After that, we've got some game plan segments to get to. We've got some analysis from Mike Quick, Ike Kreese, Greg Cosell, John Clark, the entire group. But before we get there, I want to make sure we remind everybody, as always, head on over to the uh, Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, Apple podcast page. You can head over to Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen, and can leave a rating or leave a comment or leave a question. If you've got a question about this team going into the postseason, that is the place to leave it. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get into uh, Chalk Talk right now. Excited to catch up with Ben and C-Mac to talk through some of the key metrics about this Philadelphia Eagles football team. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, guys, time to welcome in Chris McPherson and Ben Fennell. Guys, I felt like going into this segment uh, or going into this episode, I was like, you know what? Should we do something different? But you know what? The uh, the reaction we got from the last time we did an episode like this was was so highly regarded. People responded so fairly. I said, you know what? Let's uh, let's do something similar here in this uh, bi-week episode. So what we do is lock each other in a room for basically the last eight, nine weeks. So we haven't seen each other. We haven't discussed, haven't been able to go through any of our opinions on, on this football team. Exactly. But no, it is good to get everyone back together here. I do agree that the last time we got together like this uh, was like fun old times. And these exercises are fun and exciting when a team is rolling like this. And to be the number one seed and have the bye week, it's a perfect time to reflect on the season. It's a lot of first place, a lot of top fives, a lot of excellence on both sides of the ball at this team. Let's dive into the numbers. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Believe me, it's when you're rolling like this, there's things and metrics and analytics and players to highlight all over the place. I'm kind of interested to see what you guys pulled. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, you know, each of us pulled three, so that got us to nine. I said, oh, I'll just pick one generic one to get us through to, to kind of start things off here that is a big topic surrounding this football team. And so uh, we will start off with that one because we know from Nick Sirianni's first press conference, from Jonathan Gannon's first press conference here in Philadelphia, both guys talked about the importance of explosive plays, creating them and stopping them. And that's something that when you look at this coaching staff and really you look at all the things that they laid out a couple of years ago and said, what are the things that they prioritize they want to be the identity of this football team they've really followed up on a lot of those promises and a lot of those goals and uh for for me the big one looking at explosive plays both creating and preventing them um they are the only team in the nfl this season to rank in the top three on both sides of the ball when it comes to explosive pass play percentage they are number two on offense number three on defense nick sirianni said that was something that really kind of uh, told the story of who was a, a good team in any given year and that followed through here this year, C-Mac. No question. I mean, I'll start with offensively. 
the biggest thing is you added A.J. Brown yeah. to his offense. Okay, You pretty much brought the whole gang back together, and obviously you get another year within the scheme, and Jalen Hurts you know, takes a step forward, huge step forward. I know we'll talk a lot about that later on. But from a personnel standpoint, you're adding A.J. Brown, who alone had, I believe, 23 receptions of 20-plus yards this season. And you just saw how comfortable Jalen Hurts was throwing into single coverage, double coverage, Whenever it was AJ Brown, even Devontae Smith, because he took you know leaps and bounds in terms of his development this season. You look at the run game; you know the explosive in the run game was really identical to last season. It was just the improvement made in the passing game, starting with Harry Roseman's addition on draft night, bringing in AJ Brown into the fold. And not nearly as many shots down the field this year, but a much more productive doing it when those numbers were called. Obviously, a credit to AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, a lot of those guys that can win down the field, win against man coverage, win at the catch point. Um, and defensively, I think the, our defensive structure shies opponents away from taking those shots. Everything, or not everything, but a lot of our defensive schemes kind of come out of a too-high shell. So whether it's the quarters umbrella or cover two or some sort of quarter-quarter-half variation, that too-high scheme and those half-field safeties really deter the downfield pass by opponents. So I think there's some schematic structures, not to mention DBs that play the ball exceptionally well down the field. Not to mention a pass rush that yep. typically doesn't let you sit, sit there for four seconds to have those calculated shot plays. A very disciplined group as well. So I think a lot of things in combination with how the offensive approached it, the efficiency, and then the defensive style and personnel. I think they're all kind of uh, you know pillars holding up that metric, Fran. And that's the thing is that I think when you know we talked about this during the coaching transition, right? Is uh, what is the identity of the football team going to be? And I think a lot of us think of that from a schematic X's and O's standpoint of like, all right, well, what, what, what kind of scheme are they bringing? Where does this coach come from? Where, where does that coach come from? But at the end of the day, like if you say your your identity is we are going to create explosive plays and we are going to stop explosive plays, there are a lot of ways to do that, but you still have to follow that uh, follow up on that. And so uh, the Eagles, from a personnel standpoint, see, Matt, yeah, like you go and get an A.J. Brown. You draft Devontae Smith. You develop Jalen Hurts. You do things to to help you know, kind of foster that. We're going to talk through some of the things they've done offensively this year to help it. But, you know, Ben, for this week for Eagles game plan, we were talking with Greg Cosell and said, Greg, we're gonna, well, the ball's in your court. We're going to bounce the ball to you. What is the number one reason why this offense has taken off? What, what is the reason why they're one of the best offenses in the NFL? And he said it was the transition from what was a run-first offense last year into a real downfield passing attack. And, and as you mentioned, they were threw more downfield last year. That was not one of the things they like to do. Jalen Hurts likes to throw the ball downfield. But the efficiency is so much higher this year. They are, they are hitting so many more of those three-point attempts than they did a year ago. And that's what you want. You want the efficiency rather than just the blindsided volume. Surely you're going to get the production with volume, but you want to be more efficient in doing it. And on the defensive side, fans, listeners, remember, every scheme has pros and cons. Jonathan Gannon's scheme in particular protects that deep ball, keeps things in front of you. What is that that at the expense of? Typically underneath completions. This is the chess match of defensive schemes and moving your pieces around. And I think to Fran's point, preventing explosive plays is a major, major pillar in defensive rooms to do. So his scheme, that's one of the 1 or 1A points of his scheme is preventing defensive uh, big plays on defense. Mm. So while, you know, fans may get disappointed on those underneath plays that we've seen, you know, the two years here, occasionally I think they've kind of uh, gotten away from that this year. I think the the defense has really played a step better than last year. 
that's the pro and con of the scheme. I would much rather the thousand paper cuts than that brutal shot over the top. That's a backbreaking seven yard touchdown. We remember some of those defenses, CMAC, like 2015 and 2013. Uh, and Terry Williams, always, you know, Bradley yeah, Fletcher. Yeah, like guys, and it's that, that's a that's a tough way to live, right? Yeah. You know, you don't know when that big play is going to come, but you just feel it in your gut, like it's only a matter of time. So having that ability to say, you know what. <laughs> If you are going to score on us, it's because you are going to sustain drives. That, that is a hard thing to do because we've also seen that from an offensive standpoint. When you are forced to play that way on offense, that's that's tough to say. Like man, like this that is a difficult thing to do. say. We're going to go twelve plays, fifteen plays, seventeen plays to go and score and have to live that way. That's difficult. It'd be perfect yeah. on every single play to right. get eleven guys and not have penalties, not make mistakes. It's a tough way to live. Yeah. Tough way to make a make a living in this league. All right. right. So in terms of the way we're going to structure the rest the rest of this conversation, wild card uh, here. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing is that basically what I did. I didn't want us to to hash out too much together. I wanted to save all that organically for the podcast. So what I wanted you guys to do is come up with three stats. Each of us came up with three, and I just said just send me the overall topic, and I'll kind of try and structure it in a way that I think will flow okay. And it seems like we. Split it pretty even in terms of offense and defense, which is good. Um, C Mac, I'm going to go to you, or Ben, actually, I'm going to go to you next. Yeah, sorry, C Mac. Ben, I'm actually going to go to you next uh, because your uh, your next topic is Jalen Hurts' development, and obviously that's a huge Huge story here in 2022. Well, obviously with the success of this team and him being a you know a, a potential MVP candidate. I think we need to point to something in his season, in his development, in his growth as a quarterback. And we really want to pay attention to those critical down situations, the red zone, the third down, the straight drop back, third and medium, third and longs. He's checked all those boxes this yep. year. But one stat in particular I thought was really interesting was next gen's evade pressure percentage. Okay. So last year, his evading pressure percentage, which is your ability to not get sacked yet there's a pressure on the play. So your ability to escape pressure. Yep. Last year was 21%, fifth highest in the NFL, guys, right up there with Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, all the escape artist quarterbacks out there. 21%, very impressive. 7% this year, evading pressure percentage, 7%. The lowest rate in the NFL with quarterbacks with at least 400 attempts. Now, what does that mean? This is a guy that's understanding where his answers are under pressure now. He knows where to go with the ball under pressure. He's making throws under pressure. He's beating pressure with his arm now, beating the blitz with his arm now. And that's the next step of quarterback development is seeing a guy coming right down the pipe and knowing where that ball should go, knowing where the vulnerability and coverage was because they subtracted somebody that should be in coverage. That's the next step of the game slowing down, the next step of a young quarterback his eyes not dropping, looking at the pressure and turning into escape mode, which we see from time to time, very deliberate escapes. So we've seen some man coverage on third down. Yep. You take it and run. But I think that huge drop from 21% being one of the highest in the league to literally the lowest is a compliment to him. Jalen Hurts didn't all of a sudden become unathletic. Jalen Hurts didn't all of a sudden become immobile. But he's taking the next step as a passer, as a quarterback. That's who he is. This is a great sign for his future. How about average time to throw uh, for Jalen? From 2021, it was 3.2 seconds. This year, 2.86. Like uh, almost, I mean, 0.3 seconds. The game's yeah. huge, slowing huge down. Yep. Defined reads. The coaching staff finding the concepts he feels comfortable with. Trusting his receivers. Trusting protection. So many different reasons why that ball comes out faster. Yep end of the day it's coming out faster yep and a lot of that is because of jalen hurts knowing where his answers are having decisions pre-snap to his post-snap phase and just i think this metric under pressure 
A lot of people may say, well, wait a minute. Is he not getting out of the pressure? No, no, no. He's beating it in different ways, and that should excite you for his growth as a passer. Yeah, and the time to throw numbers can also be thrown off sometimes by teams that are heavy in play action. Sure. Um, the Eagles are top 10 in play action this year. Uh, they were not top 10 in play action uh, last year, if I remember correctly. Um, but still seeing that number drop significantly with the additional play action, I think is well, big. Some of the shot plays down the field last year came off play action. Right. So yeah. a lot Those more developing, long developing. Long developing. Yeah. This year might be a three-step fade to A.J. Brown down yep. the field. You know, so the shot plays weren't always manufactured with run action this year. Gets that ball out. Knowing where to go, how many times this season do we hear after a game, oh, Jalen checked us into the right play? Yep. Okay, so he understands. And again, this was one of those hackneyed storylines from before the season. Oh, from first time games. in the second year. Yeah. yeah. But there's truth to it. Yep. There no is doubt. validity to it. So I also have to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff because you go back to 2021 and starting in 2021, you know, this. I think the offense we see now is what the coaches wanted to run, but Jalen Hurts and the, the players, they were not ready to run it. So they scaled it to the run first, and that got them into the playoffs. They had success off, off of it. Well, they've come back, and you talked about how they beat the Blitz. And I remember going back to the Arizona game where you saw a lot of those quick passes that get out there, and it's like, this is not going to be sustainable. We're not going to be – teams are just going to be keying on us. They're going to be blitzing us all game long. we got to find different ways to do it. And Jalen's been able to take the next step, and we've seen this passing game flourish as a result. All right, so C-Mac, now it is your turn for your yeah, first stat. Yeah, I know yeah, you wanted yeah. to stay on the offensive side and talk through red zone efficiency. That is certainly an area uh, where there's offense has taken a huge jump, and Jalen Hurts has a, a heavy hand in that. Certainly. So 67.8% success rate this season in the red zone, third highest in the league, Highest by any Eagles team since 1995. And it would have been, I think they were number one until week eight. Until the late season. One for five. Yes, one for five. So, and that's the next thing I want to get to. Jake Elliott, congrats to him. It was the ninth time an Eagle earned a weekly honor this season, wow. his first of the season, which is absolutely insane. Uh, but basically, he had to kick five field goals because, to your point, the Eagles were one for five. In the red zone, that 20% easily the lowest in a Jalen Hurts start this season. No other game was below 50%. The only other game where the Eagles didn't get in the red zone was the week before against the Saints with Gardner Minshew at quarterback. So, obviously, quarterback run element was off the table. Eagles were just doing what they had to do to win the game. Hurts coming back from the shoulder. But looking at some of Hurts' numbers here, he was eighth in the league in red zone rushing. This season, okay? Total, not just quarterback, just period. Just period, okay? And wow. we're, we're better than guys, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. When you say red zone rushing, in terms in of... In the 20, rushing yards inside, rushing yards inside the, the red zone, it, it, okay? So more yards than guys like Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. Wow. 11 rushing touchdowns in the red zone, tied for third in the league. Devontae Smith led the team with five red zone touchdowns, receiving touchdowns this year. Um... But just, I think that's going to be a big component in terms of why the Eagles are 14 and 3. And if they're going to advance deep into the playoffs, that they have to maintain that success in the red zone. And just for a quick note here, the uh, possible division round opponents, ranking them here in order of okay. red zone defense. Do you guys want to take a guess of the four? Do you? I know the Giants were good on red zone and good Giants are top. Defense. Giants are, yeah. are top one of this group. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cowboys. Cowboys are, are next. Are, 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 yeah. And then I would say. Uh, Probably Tampa, then Seattle? Flip it, yeah. Flip it. Okay, yeah. Seattle and Tampa. I know the Giants were really good this year. But Giants-Cowboys are 
up there in the league, and then the Seahawks and the Bucks are towards the lower third. Well, so. and that's the thing is that when you look at the Giants' success and like, oh, well, why is that? How is this team? They're held together by uh, you know by band aids and gum and uh, and toothpicks, right? <laughs> um, but you say like when they they can find ways to win on the margins, and like and when you get into those uh, high leverage situations, red zone, third down, that's a team that found ways to be able to make opponents pay when they had those opportunities defensively and offensively. Um, and but again, that speaks to the Eagles this year and having so much success when you're able to get those red zone opportunities turning them into seven points instead of three that is uh that is huge for this offense that's one of my lasting takeaways of that 2017 team is the red zone efficiency and you know the coaching staff and frank reich and de filippo talking about just the execution down in the red zone in so many different ways and uh just their philosophies down there one of the pillars of that super bowl winning season and there's some reflections this year with the the efficiency as well yeah, I think when you look at it, it to me, like the, the situational foot, football stuff, we can talk about that until we're blue in the face. But I, I think it's just so, so important. It's such a good marker for the, the best teams in the league on both sides of the football. Red zone certainly up there. Um, for me, I want to take a look at uh, empty sets. And it's something I've been talking about with this team going back like week two, where you saw Devontae Smith have a couple catches uh, from the slot on those little choice routes, working up against whether it was a slot corner or a linebacker, uh, finding those advantageous opportunities from empty sets. And that has just evolved so much here with this Eagles offense. And with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, the Eagles average 9.1 yards per play from empty sets. That is number one in the NFL. Second place, Minnesota at 7.7. That is almost a full yard and a half per play difference. And noticing I'm saying yards per play, not yards per pass, because obviously you think, oh, it's an empty play. That's going to be a passing play. But Jalen Hurts with his legs, obviously a huge, huge proponent uh, or a huge part of that empty success. Now, so in this season, Second, an explosive pass percentage from empty sets. And we could think of, you know, Devontae Smith, the 41-yarder on fourth and nine uh, against the New York Giants. That came from an empty set. Um, some of the big plays we've seen to A.J. Brown, I can think about one against the Pittsburgh Steelers, an empty set. And there are so many different ways you're able to create advantageous looks for the quarterback where you say, okay, depending on how we line up out of empty, you're going to get a man zone indicator. You're going to find a matchup that you like. Uh, you empty out the middle of the field, and now you create, uh, you've got, you create the, uh, the big play for Jalen Hurts on the QB draw. And you talk about all those plays uh, for Jalen in the red zone. How many times have we seen the, the QB draw down inside the 20-yard line, the game winner against the Colts, the long one against the, the Chicago Bears for a touchdown. Uh, you can go through a bunch of that. The Minnesota, he had a QB draw for a touchdown. The Giants game, he had a QB draw for a touchdown. So uh, that shows up time and time again. Jalen Hurts second in passer rating out of empty. And one other stat I really like, and I Ben, I think you'll like this one. The Eagles are 32nd in the, in the league in motion this year. Right, we know they're they're not a big motion team, right? But when they go into empty sets, they go from 32nd all the way up to 15th in motion. Wow. And, and I think that was really interesting because the, out of those sets, they say, you know what, this is a tool we can use in empty specifically to again give Jalen Hurts a little bit of extra information before the snap uh, to jump that much in in uh, in motion percentage in those situations. I thought was a telling. Stat. And we've seen that motion used in a variety of ways, whether it's motion in that back out to create the empty influence the defense then you see a QB draw or maybe an empty set and you have a jet sweep or a jet motion suddenly he turns into a lead blocker for Jalen Hurts yep. so using the motion schematically is really clever uh, not to mention obviously the QB run game stuff 
I love the fact that you could still do play action out of empty, like we saw with the pop pass down in the low red zone to Dallas Goddard. Fake the QB draw, suddenly Dallas Goddard wide open over in the middle there. So the variety of ways, whether it's the man-beating concepts you mentioned, the the route concepts against zone, but giving Hurts the pre-snap information, another avenue of just getting that ball out quickly, giving him defined reads, giving him answers from pre to post-snap. A.J. Brown's 68-yarder against Chicago, was that not out of empty? Uh, the um, Yes, it was. So it was a very strange set on the backside. Gainwell was lined up almost to the sideline. Yeah. Pre-snap motion with Gainwell. Suddenly the defense was looking at Gainwell. The backside safety, Brisker, had his eyes on that pre-snap motion. Yep. Gave A.J. Brown more room to work to the sideline on the other side. Um, 68-yard, uh, not touchdown. I think he got tackled at the he got two there. The two, yeah. yeah, right. Which I'm sure he's heard about from his yes. team right. time and yep. time again. But just, it goes back also to the personnel because when you have A.J., Devontae, Quez, Dallas Goddard, Kenny Gainwell, Miles Sanders, I mean – Teams go back to talk about the Giants and you know their injuries in the secondary. How are you matching up with, with all these guys on top of it? Well, so. and that's the thing is that when you when you line up that way, you're putting stress on the defense, and some of those defenses are only going to have one check and say, hey, you know what, if we can't man up, exactly what you're saying, we don't have the bodies to be able to match up with Devontae and AJ and Dallas Goddard in space. Can't do it. All right, well, then that means you're going to play zone. We, are, we know what the check's going to be. It's going to be cover two. It's going to be cover three. All right, well, here's our three beater. Here's our, our cover two beater, and we're going to attack you that way. Sometimes that's all, that's all it is. Other times it is trying to find that matchup. And there have been plays. Uh, I can think back to the uh, the shallow cross Devontae Smith caught in the first Washington Commanders game where it was man-to-man coverage. You had Kenny Gainwell and J- Jameen Davis out wide, and they ended up going to Devontae on the shallow cross. It was like a 30-plus yard uh, catch and run. But – Gainwell toasted Jameen Davis on a, on a stop and go around <laughs> the outside. And that's the thing is like you can pick and pick and choose which matchups you want to take advantage of uh, in those situations. And it's, it's, again, one of the more lethal tools here for this Eagles offense, something I'll be watching here once we go into the postseason. Um, ben, along those notes, uh, you wanted to talk about beating man coverage and, and that being a huge theme with this offense. Well, certainly Devontae Smith's two-year career here and the addition of A.J. Brown have accelerated uh, the Eagles' ability to beat man coverage. And they've been seeing more man coverage as defense want to play single high, get an extra hat into the box to stop this obviously daunted run game here. Leaves a lot of man coverage, and we've had some rough years here in Philadelphia against man coverage. We've come a long way. So to see this, this is an area I would love to highlight. So A.J. Brown, number two in the NFL, receiving yards against man coverage. Devontae Smith, not far behind, number four in the NFL, receiving yards against man coverage. This Eagles team, the the most scrimmage yards as a team against man coverage. So they're seeing a lot of man coverage. No question. And they lead the NFL as a team with wow. scrimmage yards against man coverage, and then those two that obviously can win for themselves. But Devontae Smith, I just want to go back to his draft notes. And too small, won't be able to work over the middle. Too small, won't be able to win down the field. Too small is going to struggle against the big corners in this league. Too small, no yards <laughs> after catch ability. This guy does nothing but eat man coverage alive in every one of those avenues. Mm. Really, really exciting player. Probably his best trait, catching the football. Unbelievable. And I think that gets a little bit lost and in man coverage. No question. <laughs> that gets lost in man coverage, in my opinion, where you just are always thinking separation. Well, they can separate three yards. That errant throw immediately reduces that separation. You better be able to catch that ball despite it being off target. That is the number one trait, particularly in man coverage. You see with A.J. Brown a lot, too. And we were profiling some down-the-field man coverage plays a few days ago for game plan. We bucketed a bunch of plays just called whoops plays. They were nothing 
but A.J. Brown making great plays at the point of attack or at the catch point, whether it's the Steelers play where kind of stopped running and all of a sudden rethrottled, found the ball, or the play against the Titans where ball was thrown a little inside, maybe didn't expect it, late hands, and just plucked it in there. Catching the football is a tremendous trait, the number one trait from wide receivers, in my opinion, and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith show that off on a weekly basis. They've been so much fun to watch no this question. season, and one of the storylines going into the year was, well, how are these two coexist? You know, you got the alpha guy now and A.J. Brown. Is that going to stunt Devontae's development? And then week one, Devontae didn't have a catch. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, that storyline buzzed even louder. It didn't last long. Devontae Smith, 95 catches, yep. most by an Eagles receiver in franchise history. Yeah, it's a, it's been awesome just to watch those two work together. Uh, we've talked about it uh, so much is that uh, both guys can do a lot of the same things in an offense. They just do it in much different ways with much different body and types. Three years ago, Travis Fulgham led this team against man coverage with like 140 yards on right. the season. I think AJ had that in a game. Devontae almost had that in a single game. Right. So not disparaging to Travis Fulgham. We loved his contributions here. This team's come a long way at the receiver position, and it is fun to watch. Yeah, well, it's uh, certainly when you can't talk about the pass game uh, without talking about the offensive line. And, C-Mac, I know you want to talk about uh, the impact of one Lane Johnson. Yeah, so, you know, some good news on the injury front earlier this week from Coach Sirianni, hearing about guys like Josh Sweat that, you know, he's expected to play. But one player who we don't know about is Lane Johnson, who's been sidelined for the last few weeks with a groin injury. And I know we wanted to do this by stats, so – the stat offensive linemen typically don't have them, but I'm going to go with zero, okay? And that's Lane Johnson was the only right tackle in the league to not allow a quarterback sack or a quarterback hit all season long. Um, you know, we've heard that he's the you know best tackle in the world from Coach Sirianni and Coach Steichen and numerous people inside the Eagles building. Um, but another interesting stat here, according to ESPN Analytics, Lane Johnson had the highest pass block win rates of all NFL tackles this season, right or left. Um, You know, kind of to highlight how good Lane Johnson has been, I'm going to go back in the time machine to training camp, and we got to watch he battle Hassan Reddick every single day in camp. And I remember, Ben, we would go back to those podcasts, and you were just like, we need to appreciate Lane Johnson. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you watch greatness day in and day out, and you kind of take it for granted, and it's like you kind of like, eh, you know, it's like, you know, it's become the norm. It's like we need to really, you know, just truly appreciate what we're watching in front of us. And day after day, Hassan Reddick would be, like, silenced by Lane Johnson. We get to the end of the season here. Hassan Reddick is in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year, tied for second in the league in sacks, tied for the league lead uh, in forced fumbles. Well, Lane Johnson was able to keep him at bay pretty much all of training camp. So, obviously, you know, big reason why the Eagles got to 14-3 and and, again, goes back to if they're going to make a, a deep run here, hopefully – Hopefully, they'll get number 65 back in the lineup. That's a really funny reflection, and even funnier, more appropriate after the season Hassan Reddick has had with his number of sacks and uh, his ability in the run and pass game and has completely blown me away. But reflecting back, Lane whooped this kid in the summer. Nearly every day in practice, we talked about Lane with a casual first rep in one-on-ones, lock down Hassan Reddick and kind of walk off for the rest of the session out there. That isn't to disparage Hassan Reddick. That was to credit the ho-hum, boring Lane Johnson showing up to work every day and just stoning whoever's in front of him. Well, Hassan Reddick's a pretty good defensive end in this league, so don't forget about old Lane Johnson out there. I know he's injured. We hope he gets healthy for this run, but I'm glad you gave him some credit and praise because you almost get 
a little lost in his excellence. That was kind of the sentiment in the summer. Don't get bored by it because he is still playing at a high level. All right, well, uh, from pass protection to pass rush, let's make a transition over uh, to the defensive side of the football. I will present now my second stat, and that's talking about, um, again, looking at this pass rush, and we know. The Eagles finished with the best pass rush in football this year. They finished number one in sack percentage. And uh, what was interesting, the difference between the Eagles and the number two team, so the Dallas Cowboys had 8.3% of their plays ended up in sacks. The Eagles were 10.4. So uh, that is a difference of 2.1 percentage points. Just to give you a sense of how wide that margin is, if you go 2.1 percentage points from Dallas all the way down down the list, that takes you all the way down to 17th in the NFL below <laughs> league average. So that just, how big the chasm is between one and two, and then two all the way down to 17. So anyway, uh, th- that's not even my stat. The Eagles for first in sack percentage, um, first in pressure percentage. But if you go to next-gen stats and you look at the average time to sack, they are 15th in the league at 4.62 seconds. So, C-Mac, you have a very uh, a puzzled look on your face. That's a really interesting stat, right? So, yes. Uh, and to me, look, th- there is uh, some volume associated with this, right? So if you go, and that was something Ben and I talked about um, as I was looking at this stat, is if you look at the teams that have the faster sacks, um, for the most part, it's the teams that were on the bottom of the list. It was like the top three or the lowest three teams in terms of overall sacks showed up uh, ahead of the Eagles here. But... It wasn't just that group because um, there were teams like the Cowboys, the Dolphins, the Bills, the 49ers. They all finished in the top 10 in sacks, but were in the top eight of average time to sack. So uh, those teams aren't all blitz happy either. It's not like, oh, these are all blitz happy teams where it's going to be DBs getting home fast and fast linebackers getting home. Um, I think when you look at a team like the Cowboys and the 49ers, we know, yeah, like that front four gets after it uh, and they're able to get home fast. So what does that tell me about this Eagles defense and their ability to pressure the quarterback? Is that it is a full team effort, and then it's we talked about uh, T.J. Edwards and you know uh, Avante Maddox and Reed Blankenship and Marcus Epps and C.J. Gardner Johnson, everybody doing their part on the back end, zone coverage, man coverage, all the different things that they did from a, uh, a coverage standpoint. So all the variety and all of the the ways that this team was able to execute on the back end, forcing quarterbacks to hold the ball, just an extra tick to be able to get home for uh, for some of this pressure. I thought that was one of the more telling stats that I saw uh, just kind of doing some research on this team. First in almost every single pressure metric, but middle of the pack there in average time to sack. It's just insane how the Eagles went from 29 sacks a year ago, 31st in the league, to, you know, this is, you talk about the chasms here, first in, in the league was 70, franchise record, almost set the all-time NFL single-season mark, but 15 more than the number two team. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it goes back to Hassan Reck. I mean, that's such a huge piece of the puzzle, but I love the fact that you mentioned the secondary in it because you bring in James Bradbury opposite Darius Slay. You have Marcus Epps taking over as the full-time starting safety for the first time. You have C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Reed Blankenship at the opposite safety spot. That It, it truly is the entire team making this come to fruition. But it, it, it's, it's just funny because – at the end of last season, we could have all easily said pass rush was easily the Achilles heel of this team. And in some ways I can say it because Brandon Graham actually was done for the season because of the Achilles. But he comes back and should be comeback player of the year. And, and you have all the individual efforts and, and the team all come together. But credit to Gannon and his staff and to Howie Roseman and his staff for realizing this is the issue. 
How are we going to get it fixed? And they manage a way to not just improve it, but take it to an elite level in, in one offseason. Yeah, and Fran, I think that stat to me just speaks to the complementative nature of this team. No doubt. And for every sack that happened under three seconds, because there were some quick wins. There were some Hargrave immediate wins and mm-hmm. Reddick immediately on an inside move or a speed rush. For every one of those... There was one where the rush didn't get home, but the coverage made him eat the ball for four or five seconds. So it's the complementative nature. It's also a bit schematic, which there's some scheme things that, not necessarily what we do, but what we don't do, that allude to quick pressure. Cover zero, for example. Load up the line of scrimmage. Send one extra pressure that's unblocked. Typically, that's creating pressure or sack instantly. Stunts, thing that we're you know, pretty much the bottom yeah, in the league. Definitely. Way bottom, bottom of the yep. league. By a Tip- wide margin. Typically, that frees somebody up quickly for a quick sack pressure. Well, when you have guys that can win one-on-ones up front, you don't need all those other schematic elements. You don't need the heavy blitzes, the overload pressures, the stunting. When you have five, six, seven, eight guys that can literally win their one-on-one assignments, that's the pro and con of, of defensive schemes. So I think there's a lot of interesting avenues to kind of uh, dig back into that. Uh, while you were talking, C-Mac, you mentioned just the improvement from 2021 to 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's notable. You go back, you look at that sack percentage last year. It's, uh, it was over 10 this year in terms of uh, percentage points. Last year, 4.5%. They were 31st in the NFL in terms of sack percentage. But what I would say... They were 11th in pressure percentage. And that's why when you have those conversations about the the value of pressure versus sack, uh, I think that pressure is a more telling stat, a more sustainable stat to say like, hey, you know what? I know that guys weren't able to finish and get home, but when you get back a Brandon Graham, when you get back some of the pieces that, uh, that the Eagles return, you add in some of the, the veterans that the Eagles added uh, over the course of this offseason, and then also – Everybody else is year, it's year two in the scheme. And you say, oh, okay, uh, the, the guys on the back end are holding up a little bit better. Uh, you add in a James Bradbury. You add in a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Uh, and then everybody else is just a little bit more comfortable in the scheme. Well, now those some of those coverage sacks start to show up a little bit more as well. Um, yeah, I think that that's uh, that was a, a telling. But I actually forgot how bad the pass rush was from a productivity standpoint yeah. uh, last year. So that's a, a notable point uh, on your part. Four for sure. got four players with ten plus sacks. I mean, that's just first, insane. Literally first first time in history. Yeah. Uh, that that has happened. So uh, let's go to the next one here. C Mac, you want to talk through turnover differential? So we're going to keep the uh, the pressure uh, issue going. as Yeah. Well. You know, when they were getting off to their huge start, their their thirteen and one start. You know, for most. This season, they were atop the leaderboard in terms of turnover differential. They peaked as high as plus 15 at one point in the year. I think that was after the win over the Houston Texans. Uh, but for a good part of the year, even later in the season, uh, when they clinched a playoff berth against the Giants, the first time they played New York, they were plus 14 after that game. But they ended up finishing only at plus eight, which is still, look, good for third in the league, a very good ratio. But that's something that has slipped a little bit in recent weeks. And when you just look at the times that this team has struggled this season, you know, the first loss came against the Washington Commanders back on November 14th. They were negative two in turnover differential. The following week, they nearly lost. We talked about the Colts and, you know, Jalen Hurts and the comeback there. You know, they were a negative one in that contest. Uh, The Chicago game, you know, a bit of a sloppy affair there. We know Hurts got injured in the second half of that game. They were negative two Hmm. in that contest, you know, escaping with a tight win. Um, Even then, you go back to the loss in Dallas on Christmas Eve was a negative three in, in that one. So, you know, they had only three wins all season in which they had a negative turnover differential. And, you know, going through some of them there, the last one was 
this past week, a negative one against the New York Giants. So that is certainly something that obviously, look, two of the games here down the stretch, you didn't have Jalen Hurts, and he was so good, especially early in the season, taking care of the football to get to that plus 15, plus 14 mark. But that's something that is going to need to carry over if they're going to make an extended run here. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, we talk about uh, those game-tilting kinds of plays and being able to protect the football is, is, is supremely important, but creating those turnovers. And this past week against the Giants, what did they drop? Four or five uh, potential interceptions yeah. uh, that, you know, you, you take one of those the other way. Uh, and now, you know, that, that game probably feels even just a little bit different. Uh, and you're, you need those kind of game changing plays once you get to the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are the critical plays that literally make or break your season in the postseason are those ones that you're maybe an underdog as we were in 2017 and the ball bounces your ways and you have some of those impact plays. And also protect it on the other side. So the turnovers, especially late in December, January, cold weather outside, we've seen it in the past, and we all expect to see it again. Let's just hope it's uh, in our favor. All right, so uh, C-Mac, that was your final stat. Ben mm-hmm. and I both have uh, one more. I will uh, I will go first here, Ben, because okay. um, one discussion uh, that you're hearing about is just defending the middle of the field for this Eagles defense. And uh, I think that when you look at uh, the overall numbers, I think a lot of people would be surprised about what those numbers have looked like. Defending the middle of the field defensively. Uh, so basically what I did is I went over to Next Gen Stats and I got all of the targets attacking the middle third within the first 19 yards. So nothing down the field, you know, don't downfield shot plays, but middle of the field between the numbers uh, within the first 19 yards uh, of the line of scrimmage. So quarterbacks have the third worst completion percentage this season attacking that part of the field, uh, 63.6%, and the third worst passer rating attacking that part of the field. So Locking down for the most part, uh, quarterbacks have not had success uh, attacking that part of the field for this Eagles defense in the last month. And that's where you've had the injuries to, to Avante Maddox. And we've talked about some of the big plays that defense has given up. Uh, yeah, it's, it's gotten slightly worse, right? You lose Avante Maddox, you lose one of your starters, it's going to go, it's going to drop a little bit, but still pretty darn good. Seventh worst passer rating, and the completion percentage fell to just below average, right around middle of the road there uh, in terms of attacking the middle of the field. Now, I personally, and Ben, you and I have had this discussion a lot. I personally don't love a lot of the uh, like the target numbers and like the uh, the closest defender in coverage as a way to properly gauge a uh, a player in coverage because you're only counting the throw the, the throws where the ball was actually thrown at them, and you're now discounting any time where the coverage was so good that the quarterback went the other way, right? So you're kind of removing all of those throws. But that's what we have right now. So I'm going to take a look at some of these target numbers. Um, the uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm going through these numbers real quick. 24 linebackers, just talking about the linebacker position here. 24 linebackers have been targeted at least 30 times in coverage this year. And this list is basically a who's who at the position because if you play all three downs or close to it, you're going to get targets. That's just the way it is uh, in the NFL. But if we just use that 24-player sample, um, TJ Edwards and Kaiser White both on that list. Okay. Both guys rank in the top nine of that list in opponent passer rating against. Kaiser at 78-8, TJ Edwards at 84-8. So both guys doing a nice job when you're tar- in, ter- in terms of coverage. Uh, and both guys also rank in the top seven in terms of yards per attempt when targeted. A lot of that stuff is happening close to the line of scrimmage, and they're able to get their guys uh, down to the to the uh, down to the ground. So again, just kind of talking about the middle of the field. I know there there are times where fans get frustrated. I just see it like in my mentions, right? It's just like, oh, you know, the middle of the field. They got to get better at defending the middle of the field. It's going to be an Achilles heel for this team in the playoffs. You got to contextualize everything and keep in mind, like, yeah, like teams like to attack the middle of the field. There's no matchup. Ben, I know you've talked about this uh, so much over the years is that there is no better mismatch in football 
than a running back on a linebacker, right? That, that's just the, the, tight, all tight ends on linebacker. Yeah, tight ends on linebacker. Yeah. You're trying to you're trying to create that tight ends matchup. On safeties. Uh, yeah. The Eagles are going you're going to give up those plays. Like, uh, the, the, those plays are going to happen. Um, but I think that the, this uh, this pair of Eagles linebackers, number one, has done a really nice job uh, overall, and then just the defense in general has defended the middle of the field at a very high level this season. Yeah, I just think that would probably come at a surprise to fans, as you kind of set up right there. I think you leave those Herbert performances and the Derek Cards, and you think this team is just the thousand paper cuts and they're carving us up over the middle guys great completion percentage they're just dinking and dunking their way down the field really not and I think a lot of those feelings and that emotionality it talked about is in the moment yep you know and it and it hurts in the moment and it stings in the moment and when they do one thing you say well why didn't we take that away mm-hmm. remember the pros and cons and you know kind of sitting back here listening to the all these different metrics and stats and analytics on our defense preventing big plays stingy coverage in the middle of the field guys winning up the front great pass rush obviously we nearly broke the sack record great personnel all over the place great communication I mean what more could fans want out of this group I think this is why Jonathan franchise record is a highly (laughs) sought out you know potential head coaching candidate we wish him well Uh, we would obviously hate to lose him but you need to really weigh the full body of work here this is a machine at work here in Philadelphia. So, you know, that third and four to let up a five-yard completion, that happens. Take a step back, weigh the full body of work. Don't be too emotional and say, you know what, there's pros and cons to the scheme. I think what we're doing is working pretty well. Kaiser White has been a very under-the-radar free agent addition for this football team yeah. this year. Hassan Reddick, phenomenal year, deserves all the love, the accolades, you know, coming back home, all that stuff. Because your white came back home, too, from Emmaus, not, <laughs> yeah. not too far from here as well. He's got yeah. local ties, too. So he's got the feel-good, hometown kid come comeback story. But, you know, like we talked about Lane Johnson going against Hassan Reddick in training camp. Every day on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast during training camp, we talked about T.J. Edwards' yeah. coverage in the middle of the field, that he was breaking up a ball, intercepting a pass. It seemed like every day in practice, it was like he was like a magnet to the football it's carried over. Yeah. So he, credit to the, the coaching staff and the front office to put him in there because he's the best guy for the job. Yeah. You know, despite some earlier draft picks and things like that. And, you know, for a lot of the season, you have Kaiser, James Bradbury, and Chauncey Gardner all working together kind of on the weak side of that defense. All newcomers. Credit to the coaching staff for making that gel. The position coaches here, you don't hear a lot of their names, the Denard Wilsons of the world and Jeremiah Washburns of the world. These guys are studs up the coaching rank. So there's something special happening here in Philly. It's not always on the front pages. Uh, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen making the things work. This is a defense that finished number one in the NFL in yards per play. And you might say, like, oh, well, Fran, they had 70 sacks. A bunch of negative yardage is going to help impact. If you remove take sacks, those out. Yeah. Take, I took the sacks out. <laughs> They were third. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a really? really good defense in terms of being able to, to get uh, limit any kind of explosive plays down the field. It really makes you work hard uh, in terms of being able to create big plays. We've got one final stat here, Ben, uh, and I have no idea where you're going with this one. I'm uh, just <laughs> looking at the category, the, the name of the, the tag you gave it, Extremes. So take us through it. What's, what's Extremes? Well, you know, our coach, head coach here has uh, preached being a man to a wise man avoids all extremes. Well, there are a couple categories we've fallen down the rankings a little bit, and there's some reasons behind it. You had mentioned earlier, 30-second in motions and shifts, which is really not what we do here from a philosophical standpoint. But once you get into situationally in some formation situations, like empty, it ramps back up. Very selective motions and shifts. Purposeful, yes. No question. Offensive formation, something you've been big on, Fran. Two by two. Love it here in Philadelphia. It's a balanced set. Two receivers, two weapons on each side of the offense. Really interesting blocking schematics. 
That's at the expense of 3-by-1, 31st in the NFL. Trailing only San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan also prefers his 2-by-2 sets. It's just the way they want to design their offense. Pros and cons to each. It's okay to be an extreme at times. Defensively, we talked about their propensity to not blitz because of that front four. Well, DB blitzing, last in the NFL. And that's okay when you have a front winning as they are. Same thing with stunts, last in the NFL. Well, you don't need to free up your defensive tackles here in Philadelphia when you have Fletcher Coxes and Jordan Davises and Milton Williams and, oh, yeah, that Javon Hargrave guy, Javon mm-hmm. Hargrave. Last two seasons, interior defensive tackles, only trailing Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, and Cam Hayward in pressures. That guy's not a pro bowler. He's been nothing but a beast right. up front. Wins yeah. immediately off the line of scrimmage. Really, really exciting player. So, But when I, they do stunt, it's been effective. Well, no question. I, think the, the, yeah. I looked it up a few weeks ago. It was like uh, no team in the NFL has a higher uh, – what was it? It was a higher pressure rate or a higher sack rate. When they stunts, do stunt. When they yes. do stunt uh, than the Eagles. And obviously there, there's a volume aspect that's associated with that. Yeah. Um, but uh, just, I mean, crazy. Yeah. When they do stunt, it, it works very, so very well. So despite the extremes, you know, like motions and shifts, I got news for you. Jason Kelsey does not prefer motion and shifting. It changes the picture for the offensive line in the post-snap blocking scheme. There's different strokes for different folks. So even though you may want to avoid extremes, there's reasons for them. There's explanations for them. There's pros and cons to them. So I like kind of digging into some of these 30-second rankings. And you may say, oh, DB blitzing last? We got to blitz more. No, we don't. You don't need to just do things to do things as well. So I know you would like to be in the middle of the pack and avoid those extremes. Being first in some categories is good, too. First place in the NFC, and that's pretty good. I like it. Well, uh, look, great stuff from uh, from both of you guys. A lot to chew on there uh, when it comes to this number one seeded Philadelphia Eagles football team. Uh, to round out the show, we've got some more analysis here from uh, John Clark, Mike Quick, Ike Reese, Greg Cosell, the rest of our Eagles game plan crew. These are some clips that got left on the cutting room floor. Ben, C-Mac, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. But let's hear from the game plan crew uh, some analysis I couldn't squeeze into this week's show. Yeah, and, and, and when you look at the personnel that the Eagles can hit you with offensively, you know, Dallas Goddard can sometimes be the forgotten man because there's so much attention to Devontae and A.J. Brown on the outside. But you're looking at a Pro Bowl caliber tight end yes. in Dallas Goddard. If he doesn't miss the games that he missed this year, I'm not so sure he doesn't have a 1,000 yards receiving himself. So you're talking about a legitimate threat that has a defense – how much time or how much personnel can you devote to these X factors that the Eagles can hurt you with without putting yourself in a compromised position? That's where defenses, when this offense has been at full strength, have been stuck with trying to figure out. And Dallas Goddard has been a benefactor of that uh, at times this year. I'm excited to see him in the uh, in the offense in the postseason because there aren't many linebackers or safeties that can cover Dallas Goddard. Now, I turn on the tape every single week and watch the Eagles defense. And what immediately stands out is the domination of this defensive line as pass rushers. A number of guys, most teams are happy to have one really good pass rusher, maybe two. And by really good pass rushers, I mean guys that can win one-on-one because at the end of the day, you have to be able to do that to create a really strong pass rush on a week-to-week basis. The Eagles have a number of players who can do that. It starts on the edge. Hassan Reddick, Josh Schwett, Brandon Graham is out there as well. They have four guys with 10-plus sacks. And that's Javon Hargrave on the inside as well. Fletcher Cox has had some really good moments as a pass rusher as well. 
All these players can win one-on-one, and that's really, really important. So it's very difficult for offensive lines. They have to determine how they want to slide. And one thing the Eagles do really well, they line up in five-man defensive fronts, 5-0 fronts, and that dictates one-on-one matchups for the offensive line. And when the Eagles do that, they are very, very difficult. Obviously, with the injury to Avante Maddox, we don't know whether he's going to be back, but you saw C.J. Gardner-Johnson come back after missing six weeks. Yep. Had some looks in the slot. So do you think they have a good option there in case Avante's not back? I think he's a great option. You know, C.J. Gardner-Johnson said himself a couple of years ago before he left New Orleans that he was the best slot corner (laughs) in the National Football League. He said that. But I think the fact that he can play multiple positions really makes him a real good fit for this defense and for what they like to do. He played some safety. He played in the slot when he came back last weekend. Having that guy that can do so many things really helps Jonathan Ganning on the back end. Yeah, versatility with your back seven, really with this entire defense. Yeah, I throw Hassan Reddick in there as well. Oh, yeah. think, think about guys that don't necessarily fit into the mode of playing a position the way you think it's ideally should be played. Jonathan Gannon loves having this versatility on his defense. Guys that can play multiple positions, uh, that's where we're going to have an advantage. We certainly would love to have Avante Maddox back out there playing. But if not, you have some guys that you can move around in different positions that I think will still be a solid defensive uh, unit. And we've seen with the defensive line, the rotation, especially with some veterans, and you have Sue and Linval Joseph joining the team. Brandon Graham, they've reduced his number of snaps, and his sacks went up towards the end of the season. So how fresh do you think a lot of these guys are, especially the veterans that they got at the trade deadline? They'll tell you, it's big time for them. Yeah. And I, I think back to the 2017 team, and that defensive line was like 8, 9, or 10 deep. And, you know, the average, the highest average of plays was around 40 snaps. So when you can have guys that can rotate and keep these guys fresh, Lane Johnson said this before, and he's absolutely right, offensive linemen don't rotate. So right. they're, they're out there for 60, 70 And he said maybe days. they should. <laughs> they know. So, but these defensive linemen, the fact that you get to rotate, it's going to keep guys fresh. And a guy like Brandon, at his age, 34, coming off the injury that he had, I guarantee you he'll tell you he welcomes the, the lessened amount of uh, workload he gets because it's going to keep him fresher. To your point, I think Fletcher Cox has played the best football he's played this year in the last three years because he's been able to get a break. He he doesn't have to play 60 and 70 snaps a game. When he goes onto the field, he's much more effective. Now, the numbers may not show that, but he's much more effective as a football player. Yeah, and Fletcher told me he was dealing with a foot injury up until maybe about a month ago, and you saw his play rise from there. All right, we talked about the passing game. You saw Jalen. He threw it a lot. Now, of course, Nick Sirianni told you and he told the media that they wanted to be a little more careful with Jalen coming back from his injury. Probably didn't do some of the read options, the zone reads, some of the running that they can do that makes their offense whole and effective. So what did you see from Jalen Hurts and how good is it he got that experience in the last regular season game and then has two weeks until the playoff game? Well, I think it's really important that he has more time now that he's going to feel better. You get a two extra weeks to heal and feel better. You have to have Jalen Hurts being a factor in the run game. It makes such a difference when teams are worried about him running. This team has been so good in the red zone because you have a Jalen Hurts who can pretend that he's going to give it to the halfback, keep it himself. You hold these backside rushes. The fact that he can just run it and run the ball like a a running back, it just makes this team so dynamic 
and it really scares the heck out of a defense. Yeah, Q, you're so right, especially when you're talking about the red zone. We know how dangerous Jalen can be when he's out in the open field, but when you get down in that red zone, it's what makes this Eagles offense one of the hardest to defend, in my opinion, because yeah. the ability to throw the ball with the weapons that you have down there, and then with Miles Sanders, along with Jalen Hurts, it really puts the defense uh, in a quandary, and last week, obviously, the Eagles weren't going to put Jalen in that position where he has to take unnecessary punishment. And I think that was a big reason why we struggled in the red zone because we didn't have that aspect of our game with Jalen a part of the run game down there. Pretty much all season when he was healthy, they were pretty much hard to stop down there. And he's a huge reason why because we talked about this his decision-making with the RPO game, when to keep the ball versus when to throw it, he's the best at it. So that part wasn't a part of the game plan last week, and I think that's why you saw the red zone struggles. I would imagine with a couple weeks rest, his body feels better, team feels more confident calling those plays, that won't be an issue moving forward. But even in the field, anywhere on the football field, many times on third downs, Teams are so worried about yeah. the fact that he can run the ball. Teams are afraid to play man coverage because he recognizes man coverage and he's going to take off and get the first down. So anywhere on the field, when Jalen Hurts is healthy, he's a real threat to any defense that they're playing against. I want to ask you guys, because you guys both have experience with having a bye in the playoffs. The last two times the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, of course, five years ago, Carson Wentz gets hurt. Nick Foles didn't look that great last couple games. And then the time before 2004, your team, you guys were rolling, I think, 13-1 and one or 12-1. and one, Took your foot off the gas, right? Because you, you brought in your backup. So how does this team, because some people have concerns with the way they played the last couple weeks. Does this team pick it right up again when the playoffs start back at the link? I mean, I expect them to. I, yeah. I, I really do. I had 14 weeks to watch what this team looks like when they're healthy. And they look like the best team in football. There's a plausible explanation as to why they sputtered coming down the stretch. Jalen's injury. It, yeah, well, yeah. That's the biggest reason. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. the biggest reason he wasn't in there. So right. there's a difference between, you know, you being at full strength and not playing well going into the playoffs versus you being a little banged up and you get healthy at the end and they almost because of that last game can exhale and say okay we're closer to being back to 100% than what we were the last couple of weeks right. that also gives you sort of a mental boost as well and it's a locker room in my mind that's led by veteran guys who've been there this is not new to them right. to get into this situation where in the postseason they've got an opportunity to win it all they've been there they know what to say they know how to act they know how to show these young guys what they should be doing, what they should be expecting in this situation. And the mindset of the quarterback also matters. He has a calming presence sure. about himself, and that filters throughout the locker room and with everyone else. So having Jalen back out there, it almost brings a sense of calm and ease to everyone that may ha have a little bit of angst about the way the season ended. Be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live here in the Philadelphia area, it will be Sunday, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.